firefighting world, welcome back. Hope you're all doing well and staying safe. Today, we have a very insightful conversation with Yop DeVries, who's the VP of Innovation and Science and Technology at FM Global. We'll hear about Yop's background as an aerospace engineer, where he was working to make things burn faster, and his journey to FM Global, where he is now working to make things burn slower. We'll hear about the fire fundamentals and how it can be used to drive predictions, which drives insight into guidance around what to do with regulations and insurance, and ultimately how that drives innovation. Innovation around augmented reality, virtual reality, drones, IoT, a lot of these buzzwords. And then Yop will give us some insights into how we operationalize this technology to drive the prevention of future disasters and fires from happening. Yop's also going to give some insights to coronavirus and, and some things that keep him up at night, as well as things he's most excited about. Hope you enjoy listening, and keep on keeping on. Job, welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Great for being here. So where in the world are you located today? So I am located in Mansfield, which is Massachusetts, but it's right in between Boston and uh, Providence. Uh, so uh, the suburbs of Boston. And it's mid-November, so it's basically full-on winter, I take it? Not much, not many leaves left on the trees? Yeah, I'm spending most of my free time clearing the leaves, but uh, that's, uh, that's my weekend hobby right now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good hobby. It, it is fun just kind of running through and kicking all the leaves, but then again, when it's on your lawn, you got to pick them all up. Right. Yeah, it's okay. It's a good exercise, right? Yeah. So for this, for those of us in the world that, that don't know who Jop DeVries is, give us a little context on, on sort of your background, uh, who you are, and sort of how you got to, to where you are today. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because my background, you wouldn't necessarily think of an insurance person. So I'll start a little bit in the beginning. My academic background, I start off in aerospace, aeronautical engineering, um, and later, uh, and I got my master's degree in aerospace engineering. Uh, later, got my, uh, my doctorate degree in, in mechanical engineering. Um, but I was very much ironically involved in making things burn uh, better. So we were adding nanoparticles to rocket, uh, solid rocket propellants to see if we could increase the burn rate. Uh, we were adding silane to, to gaseous fuels to see if we can establish um, faster combustion for scramjet applications, so supersonic combustion. Um, and uh, so I was really studying fires and flames and, and, and the chemical kinetics behind it at a fundamental level. So, so looking at how fast a flame travels uh, and, and how, how fast a spherical flame expands, uh, even to the point where we were heating gases with shock waves just to see how fast the reactions were happening. And this was all tailored towards understanding the combustion process in, in either a rocket or, or a gas turbine engine. So, the, uh, so ideally, you know, you can think of an industrial gas turbine engine. You, you want it to work anywhere in the world, right? Depending on, it doesn't matter what fuel, you just want to turn a few knobs because you know there's more ethane or methane, whatever the composition is, you want the turbine to work within the specification. So we would provide the raw data that, that allow companies like the GEs and the Siemens of the world uh, to do that. Um, so I finished that in 2009 and then I got hired by FM Global. I'm not sure if you remember what the market was like in 2009. I think the Dow was around 7,000. So it was about half of what it was just a year or so prior to that. Um, but FM Global was going strong and they were actually looking for a, a senior research scientist in their fire, uh, fire protection group to do the opposite, to see how, how we can make things burn less, right? But it turns out that the, the fundamental physics 
that describe uh, fire and flame spread and so forth. There's a lot of heat transfer uh, concepts going on, are, are fairly similar. Plus I had a lot of background in how to conduct and set up experiments. Um, so I did that for about seven years for FM Global. Uh, started off as a senior research scientist and become a lead research scientist. Uh, my claim to fame was burning distilled spirits, whiskey barrels. So we did a very large scale whiskey barrel fire test about 40 feet high. Uh, or I think about 30 feet high under a 40 foot ceiling and, and, and tried out various protection schemes, uh, sprinkler protection, in-rack protection. Um, I was getting more and more involved with um, advanced technologies, drones, uh, infrared uh, thermography to see through flames, uh, to see how things would burn. Um, I was getting involved with creating VR experience. I was, this was the days that we were actually stitching six GoPro videos together. So there was a lot of labor involved with creating a, uh, a 360 video. Uh, so I was involved with that early on so we could provide a client sort of immersive experience of what it would look like if their facility was on, on fire. Um, so about three years ago, we started a dedicated innovation team at FM Global and I had sort of inadvertently worked on all these technologies that were very hot, hot topics at the time with the drones and the VR and, and, and all these um, really hyped up technologies at the time. Uh, so I inadvertently put myself in a great position to take on that role. So in the past three years, I've been uh, a part of FM Global's innovation team, really looking at the, the, on the science and technology side. So I've been looking at things like, like uh, drones, uh, again, how to operationalize that. So now it's much more away from research, more towards making the business case and trying to operationalize some of these technologies, whether it's IoT, uh, drones, um, you know, and some other topics that I'm sure we will be covering uh, today during this conversation. Thank you for that background. And I love it going from how to make things burn better and faster to right. or it's how to make things burn less because there is that balance within fire. I mean, especially within wildfires. I mean, we look at sometimes how do we actually use fire as to the benefit to clear spaces so bigger fires don't happen. Um, but then even within what you talked about, sometimes we do want stuff to burn and sometimes we don't want stuff to burn, but the fundamentals of the core are the same. Yeah, it's, it's about if, if you understand physically what's going on, uh, then, you're, then, then you're able to make predictions, right? And when you're able to make predictions, you, you able, you, you're able to turn that into guidance for, for our customers and our clients. That means guidance with regards to what type of sprinkler protection they need, how much water they need, uh, how much pressure, all these things. Um, but when you're really looking at it at a fundamental microscopic level, um, it gets really into the nitty gritty. I mean, I was responsible for a lot of the experiments that were used for validating the numerical modeling that we're doing. And it really got to the point where we're looking at the, uh, the temperature effect on surface tension, right? Because if you, if, you, if you have radiation impacting a surface with a water film over it, the surface tension would, would make the water beat up, creating dry spots, which would create uh, pyrolysis gas, would start to burn. It's very, very hard to model that. You have to really understand um, at a fundamental level what's happening in order to get the, uh, the model accurate. I mean, it's one thing to just have a model that's generic, that just, um, uh, just models what you're seeing. It's, it's almost like a statistical averaging of, of what you're seeing, but it's a whole completely different thing of actually capturing the physics so that the model then becomes generically applicable to cases outside of what you've, what you've tested. And that's what you want, right? You wanna make predictions of things you haven't seen before. I mean, if you've already seen it, you know what's gonna happen, so. Yeah, and I like how you phrase that too, of how do we, if you know the fundamentals, you can make predictions, which turns into guidance. 
And in a lot of what it seems like, from my understanding of FM Global, and I'd like you to give more of the context of, we need some of that guidance to, to drive, how are we driving regulations? How are we providing the proper insurance to different entities? Um, and, and, so, and so that's a key part. But what I, what I thought, I, I really liked what you said earlier was the, the operationalizing technology and the technology part of, of FM Global. And, and I think for, for me and maybe for the average Joe, we may not know sort of what FM Global does, especially when you, know, you, you talk about in your title having innovation in your title. You know, give us some context on sort of the FM Global identity and, and how innovation ties into that and sort of what that term innovation really means from your perspective. Yeah, so let me start at the beginning. FM Global has been around for, for a long time. We were founded in 1835 by a gentleman named Zechariah Allen. Uh, who was running uh, paper mills, I believe, at the time. And, and those were burning down at just, just an insane rate. I think like 10% of them would just go up in flames at a, every year or something. And he was very uh, forward thinking in terms of fire protection at, uh, at the time. And, and he was uh, taking all the right measures to protect um, his buildings. And yet the insurance rate wouldn't go down, right? He wouldn't get recognized for him. So he's like, all right, fine. We'll start a factory mutual organization to uh, with like-minded folks that are very um, focused on, on, the, on the notion that the, the majority of losses are preventable, mostly on the fire side in the beginning. Uh, and we, we will form our own club, so to speak. So it was sort of a global mutual uh, company, which, which uh, became Factory, um, Factory Mutual, which later became FM Global. Uh, but the mindset has never changed. It's philosophy that the majority of losses are preventable if you really understand the problem. Uh, if you really understand the, the physics and the, and the science behind it, uh, again, you can turn that into guidance. You can turn that guidance into outcomes, right? If you would take it one step further. So from an insurance perspective, uh, you know, our loss ratio uh, over the past 10 years has been uh, significantly lower than that of the market average because of our, because of our guidance that we provide to the clients and the, and the risk improvements that they, that they implement. So FM Global is a, is a monoline insurance. We do uh, only commercial property risk. Uh, we do that for roughly one out of three of the Fortune 1000. Uh, so I think we're market leaders in that space, but we're, we're very focused. So we don't do car insurance or health insurance or life insurance. We're very focused on, on, that, on that one thing. Um, and uh, like I said, we're a mutual organization. So we don't have uh, third-party shareholders, which means that we can... Um, uh, use some of the extra um, excess capital at the end of the year, if we have a good year, we actually uh, return that back to our policyholders in, in the form of a credit, which they can either apply directly to their policy, which makes the policy rates even more competitive, or they can actually apply it to loss prevention recommendations that, that we've asked them to do. And then they're going to be in even better shape the next year, which results in fewer losses, which results in excess capital, which results in more credit to the client the following year. So you have this forward rolling um, a business model uh, that's been working very well for us. In fact, uh, I think about 65% or so of our clients has been there for more than 10 years and many have been there for decades and decades. And some, I think we have even clients that have been there over a hundred years. So it's, it's just a, a crazy um, to see how, how well that business model works. And, uh, it, it, the, thing, the thing about losses and fires, not a zero-sum game. It's not like someone loses and someone wins, right? And when something burns down, everybody loses. So it's not in the best interest of a client. And it's not certainly not in the best interest of 
of the insurer if something burns down. But if you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with a client and you have this thing that you know if you can prevent it, both sides win, it just creates this very targeted um, and aligned uh, way of, of working with a client and it creates very aligned partnerships. I like how you said that too. I mean, in, in the fire, a lot of times it's, it is a lot of the times a loss, a lose-lose, you know, unless you get a, a weird situation of someone who's purposefully setting their building a fire for another reason, which isn't really our business. But I think the, uh, the idea of you talked about creating those win-wins and, and within the role that work that you do, um, you know, within insurance, like most people would, when they hear insurance, they think like, Ooh, like the hair on their back goes up. They're like, Oh gosh, like insurance. I, that's the last thing I want to think about. Um, but this, this insure tech that you, that I've seen some of the work that you do and then the insurance dynamic within FM global, like how is, and why is insurance something that shouldn't be looked at as something that is a, a burden or something that they have to deal with, but instead something that insurance can become a driver of innovation and change. Yeah, it's, I mean, I remember, you know, when I, I finished a PhD and, and worked on rockets and turbines, and I, I called my dad back in the Netherlands telling that I took a job working for an insurance company. It was, it was a long pause on the other end. Uh, and you feel like you always have to uh, explain yourself. Um, the great thing about, you know, working for Affin Global is that we are, since we are a mutual organization, we are owned by our policyholders and our clients, right? So they are represented at, at almost every level, certainly at the board of directors, but we have other interactions as well. So they're very much part of the decision making. Um, yeah, ins insurance is kind of a nuisance unless, until something goes, goes wrong, right? And then you're very happy that you have yeah, it. Something no one ever thinks about. I mean, you get the policy because you have to. And then, of course, right. when something goes wrong, you're like, oh, thank God, I have it. Exactly. So it's a, it's a sort of game theory that not everybody is applying every day. It's, it's one of those products. Uh, it, I, I thought it was uh, someone referred to it, I believe, as like anti-magnetic or something, because the only time you actually deal with the product is, is when something bad happens, right? When you have a bad experience. Uh, we like to turn that around, FMLO. We want our clients to like us even more after a loss than before the loss, right? That's our, our claims uh, philosophy. And, and because, again, because we're owned by our clients, they keep us honest in, in that regards. To be honest with you, I've, if anybody ever came to me for underwriting advice or insurance advice, I, I'll send them to someone else. That's not my, uh, my forte. I am laser focused on preventing losses, uh, predominantly in the fire side, but since I joined the innovation team that has broadened, the scope has broadened somewhat. So for me, I think that is just, uh, it's incredibly rewarding. I mean, there's been a study, I believe, in 2017 uh, done on, on the cost of fire. Are you familiar with that? I think it was issued by the SFPE. I mean, how much, uh, if I ask you, let me ask you a question. How much do you think of our GDP do you think we spend on all fire-related costs? I would, I would say it's, it's extremely small. Um, I don't know, less than half, like 0.25 of, of 1%, maybe. Well, I actually, in this study in 2007, we, I'm sure we can send a link uh, to it. It was, it was close to 2%. And, in the, and that's in 2014. And in, 2000, in the 1980s, that was as much as 6%. So this is oh, if wow. you add it a lot, the insurance costs, the fire services, the installation of the sprinklers, the, I mean, okay. they were creative into, you know, into, um, so, so there's all slew of things that if you add them all up, 
the cost of all that combined it came out to be about two percent of, of the gross domestic product which is insane right if you apply that globally uh i think the global gdp is around 150 trillion so now you're talking about like three or so close to three trillion dollars so that's that's a combined revenue of the of the fortune global top six uh combined right that we're just burning or spending on insurance or spending on fire protection uh, so in a, to be able to work on that and to, to um, I, I find it incredibly rewarding um, and, and to do that in the insurance setting, I'm not so worried about the, the reputation of the insurance, but I, I, that's always, as long as you bring it from that perspective that you're there to prevent losses where everybody wins, um, I, I, yeah, I, I say that with, with, I tell that story always with great pride. Plus the you know, there's a, a hidden cost too with fires that people are not aware of. I mean, we can rebuild the building, but you can't rebuild the reputation, right? If you have a chemical plant and an orange cloud slowly travels over a town and, and, and a school and, and you're associated with that because that was your company that caused that fire, they're going to remember you forever. It doesn't matter that a year from now that building is going to be standing again. They're going to remember you for that company that, you know, poison the water or, or, or create that, 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 that pollution or, or, or basically it's seen from the outside perspective, like you're not in control of your own business. You're not resilient. Uh, so, uh, yeah, again, if you can't, why that's good. If you can't control your own business, I think it's going to, you're going to lose a lot of credibility within the community and other businesses. Um, so I think that's, that is, yeah. yeah, shareholders, everyone. Right. And, and so with, within this community, too, that you're talking to, it's a lot of the first responders and innovators in the fire service and, and, and very fire-focused. And I think you, you've given some good context on the building side and a lot of aspects into, you know, I live in an apartment building now and I got sprinkler systems and there's smoke alarms and there's codes that we follow by. And, and, and a lot of times, first responders, most people they love first responders, but they don't really realize the work that goes into being a first responder, the training the you are at a moment's notice going from you're on your sitting on the couch or you're maybe doing a little bit of work. And then all of a sudden you may have to go in and save someone's life in the burning building. And it's, it's in the, there's so many different things we could talk about, as you mentioned from AR, VR drones, rapid prototyping, IOT that ties into this first responder space. But within your perspective from an, from a FM global view, how is the work that you're doing or what, what are some insights in how FM Global's work or your ideas and how this ties into the everyday first responder and fire departments and as well as EMS and even police around the country? Right. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent question. Now, first of all, when I was asked on this podcast, I, was, I got a little bit of the imposter syndrome because I am not a first responder. I'm not a firefighter, but I, and I have the, the utmost respect. Uh, for the men and women who do that on a daily basis, not just fires, but also attending to, to traffic accidents and, and horrific scenes and all that. And I, I think about that a lot. A um, friend of mine was first responder on the ambulance. I think she was only 19 years old and she's not spared of anything in terms of the, the what she's being exposed to, right? So uh, the, rate, the way I look at it from an and global perspective, so we, we are we focus on commercial property, right? So a lot of the fire testing and, and the fire protection codes um, we make freely available uh, through our data sheets in the hope that it's got picked up by other codes and standards. And often it does. So a lot of the NFPA guidance is based on testing that was done um, at FM Global. Some of it at UL, but a lot of it also at, at FM Global. 
So what that means is that if the first responder arrives on the scene uh, of a well-protected building, is that the first responder can then focus on, on saving the people, right? They don't have to worry about the building collapsing on them because the protection that is being put in place um, ideally would, would take care of the building. So the firefighter can, can focus on the people, they can focus on final extinguishment, but they don't have to worry about, um, you, know, you know, is the building gonna collapse on me? Or, you know, I was, I was talking to, gentlemen today i mean there's one thing if you arrive at a, at a huge building you know there's no people in it and the flames are coming out of the roof i mean you put some hoses on the on the roof but that's more for the news crews that come by to make it look like you're doing something because that's not going to that, that building is gone right you want to focus on adjacent buildings you want to you know that building is has been lost um but it's a more interesting thing if there's not flames coming out of the building, but just, just smoke seeping through some of the seams here and there, right? And when you're standing there from the outside, when you're arriving on the scene, um, it's, it's very hard to predict what's actually going on in that building. Some folks, some fires produce a lot of smoke, some fires produce less smoke. So what are you gonna do? It's gonna depend very heavily on the information that's available to you, prior experience and so forth. But prior experience, I can only imagine that even if you're a firefighter for a long time, there's only so many large industrial fires you're gonna see. I'm not sure how frequent it is, uh, but that's not a daily occurrence. So even the intuition that you build over years is gonna be built on a, a finite set of, of, of instances. Um, and then what's inside these buildings is changing now, right? You get automatic uh, retrieval system, robotic retrieval systems, a lot of plastic, plastic buckets, uh, much higher warehouses now for storages from, from Amazon and the like. Uh, lightweight construction materials. Right, so there's all these things that have really changed uh, the way we do things where prior experience may not be that predictive of what's going. So what we would really like to see, uh, it gets closer to, to why we're here on the podcast, is, is have this ecosystem where the building is protected in a way that provides also information that's then useful for the firefighters and the people uh, that come on scene, right? And they have sort of seen, you know, ideally in the future, this will be this seamless thing where the first responders arrive, they, they open their tablet and they can see what sprinklers are on for how long, they can see the water pressure in the buildings where, where, it's, where it's important, perhaps temperatures, hot spots. And they can be much more uh, accurate in, the, in their subsequent decision making because, you know, they, then they can come in and, and actually put out the fire instead of, you know, trying to uh, operate blindly, you know. Well, I think on that point of data and the fire service, and, and we actually had a, a webinar in the, about this in the past with, um, with Chief Dan Muncy on there and um, yep. Andreas Huber and, and – um, and, and Bart, Bart Van Leeuwen, uh, who's actually a fellow Dutchman. I don't know if you know, it's company Natej, Bart Van Leeuwen. Um, you guys need to meet each other if you haven't. Yeah. Um, but data in the fire service, it seems like basically there's, we're, it's, we're taking IoT devices or we're taking things and, and then allowing them to create some type of data, which is great and all, but if you, the human brain can only take in so much and that data doesn't mean anything unless it's, you can oper operationalize it. Um, and, and so I'd, I'd be interested to know from your perspective on where we sit now and where you see us moving forward to all this data that is there now and that will be created. What are some hot takes from you on how we can consolidate all this data and turn it into actionable information? So first responders, 
during events as well as even you know, post events from an investigation or insurance standpoint can benefit from that data. Yeah, I think that is an excellent point. The, and that, that's not just for fire, um, fires, it's just in IoT in general. Right? People talk about, you know, I get a little annoyed now when people talk about data lakes. I literally see like just an ocean of, of just numbers in front of me where <laughs> we can't make any sense out of. Typically with, with newer advanced technologies, it's not just the technology, it's the people in the process, right? Those three things need to work together for something to be effective. So um, the, the only way we're gonna get there, so we're, I mean, we are at a very early stage w w still with IoT, right? And improving the, the efficacy. I don't, I don't care how many business consultants gonna tell you that it's gonna disrupt the industry if and you gotta do all these things. It's, it's, it's evolving uh, and we're still in the, in the early stages of what it's gonna do. Um, I think the only thing to move forward is to have uh, like the ecosystem that you're trying to build where you bring a lot of different stakeholders from a lot of different directions together so you can have these conversations at, at multiple levels. So you don't try to solve the problems just from the firefighting and the first responder side or just from the building side. You need to have a way of that connection to be made. There's a huge IT component and cloud component and cyber component. This is, obvious, this is often the, uh, the, the hard part, right? How do you get data out of a building a lot of clients are not are, are fairly reluctant still, for good reasons, uh, to open up the insides of their their IT system uh, and just uh, and beam out data to the outside world, right? So that there's all these hurdles along the way that that need to be solved. Um, and then from the data perspective, yeah, we, we're not yet at a point where someone can see the matrix, right? You just you just have a bunch of data and they can see what to do. So there's a huge um, user experience component to this as well, which can, which you can only, in my mind, you can only figure that out by actually trying things out. So having firefighters uh, with a tablet in their hands, go through training, try to have them use information that they're getting, learning from it, iterating, improving, um, and, and not making any assumptions. So to keep, keep iterating and keep learning uh, while we're doing these things. And hopefully in training sessions and not, and not in real, real life fire scenarios, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that obviously doing those and training is important. And, and even, unfortunately, training in a lot of ways has become more difficult due to the 2020 world that we live in, aka COVID economy, corona economy. Right. And that's been something that's, that's obviously very trending. And, and, and I know that this, this may seem like a abrupt transition, but cor the coronavirus and COVID, from, from your perspective, it, I interested in your thoughts and how how do you think COVID has changed your work and and how is it maybe has there been stuff that you see as there's going to be good coming out of this in terms of we're not going to go back to what it was but instead use this as a force multiplier moving forward or what do you see as some of the biggest challenges as it pertains to FM Global or <laughs> your day-to-day if you working in your basement now or uh, right. You know, just, just interesting your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you can answer that question on so many different levels. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a little uh, broad. And depending on what the timeline is, and I think we're, re we're really, you know, this is going to be a rough winter, I think, for the U.S. Um, in terms of the second peak, which I, I have a hard time imagining us bending that around. So, so let's just start on the level of just uh, our employees, right? I think we're much more... Uh, 
better working re remote and that has really accelerated and I think our IT department has, has done a fantastic job because it's gone seamlessly transitioned from a company where we were mostly on site to now being mostly uh, remote and working through Microsoft Teams and working through various tools uh, to do that. I still think there's a critical component missing there in terms of the, the human interaction and I was telling someone, it looks like, yeah, all the work gets done, but it looks like all the fun is kind of sucked out of it, right? The little yeah. lunches you have with people, the, the, the kind of interaction, the, the, the water cooler talk. But essentially, it's, most of the work gets done, at least on, on, the, on the corporate side. Now, from our business model is very much dependent on people visiting clients, boots on the ground, um, because we do the risk assessments. We have about 1,900 or so engineers globally that visit our clients' locations to do risk assessments. They write over 100,000 risk reports a year. And that's, that's a little bit more challenging because um, you, can, you can hold off on that a little bit, but at some point that's gonna impact the risk, right? And it's gonna impact the relationship and therefore, so we're trying other tools now where, where we can we have remote tools that we can use, uh, where people can use their phones. Uh, a lot of times we get, we actually still go on site uh, with all the precaution, we keep the distance and the, and the face mask. We do jurisdictional inspections, for instance, for boiler pressure vessels. Those things need to keep working and it's state mandated that they get inspected uh, on a regular uh, once a year or so. Um, but th that's, that's more challenging, um, but you do see a lot of digital tools now being rolled out and it's, it's hard to imagine that when COVID is over that we're going to... Um, get rid of all of that, right? I think the nuanced answer is usually the right one. So I don't think we're gonna, after COVID is over, we're gonna be keeping doing it this way. I also don't think that we're gonna go back exactly to where we were before. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, personally, I like it if I can work a few days from home and a few days at work and have that freedom, um, that would be the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, but from a risk assessment, it's challenging because our field engineers rely heavily on the on the sounds, on the listening. If you they we have some folks with 20 year plus experience, they walk past a turbine or a motor, and it sounds funny, they pick up on that, right? And that's just hard to do uh, remotely. So it's been not even one year in. So uh, I think you know we're still we're still probably going to see how all this is going to pan out but yeah. uh, so far so good i have to say but well, th thanks for that context i mean i think you you drove home the point i mean coronavirus or not the ball keeps bouncing the world is moving the world is turning a lot of things <clears throat> a lot of things have changed a lot of our plans have been canceled but fires are still happening first responders are still responding hospitals are still operating all in, in new kind of constrained challenging environments it is exciting to see some of these digital tools that I think are allowing us to make leaps forward. And I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, I, I, I can't wait for it to go back to what it was. But I, I, I look at coronavirus as obviously a terrible thing that has taken many lives and something we need to take seriously, but also something as a slap in the face to wake up to. We actually needed to take a step back and realize that many of the things we were doing were incredibly inefficient. And we need to use this as a force multiplier to leap forward five, 10 years from an infrastructure standpoint, a digital infrastructure standpoint, uh, how we are evaluating people, technology process across the board. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it a lot to use as it's going to accelerate the digital transformation for many, many companies. But 
how how you're going to accelerate that depends really on the industry that you're in because it's easy i mean if you're really manufacturing goods then you have the machines there you, you arguably you were already ha, have automated that as much as you can uh there was no need to not do that before covid so and yeah. the people that are there are pretty critical so we are we are looking more into okay if certain industries are now running 200% because all of a sudden they're making face masks at, at a pace like how's that going to change their risk right or if if there's going to be plastic dividers everywhere how's that going to change the fire loading because now you have all the you brought in all this plastic into a building and it's in this perfect vertical arrangements and that, that's the that's the direction fire likes to travel in right going up so there's all these changes that are happening there's also uh, places uh, that are not doing well where people where there's no fire watch or, or someone abandoned and um, uh, and so just it's just a whole lot of ha thing happening at the same time right and yeah. it's hard to to uh, to to deal with that all, all 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 at once the thing is that we are there with our clients we have the client service team are, are dedicated to client we only have a few thousand clients each client has a client service team so we are there every time they make changes we can provide guidance on how that affects the fire protection how that affects so we can even over the phone or even through video calls uh, we can still do that but yeah hopefully it won't last another two years or something like that right yeah gosh who knows uh, only time will tell but yeah and i thank you i'm glad i ended up asking you because <laughs> even thinking about within our office too we now have the plastic dividers and even i, I think about it from solar panels i mean it was something that was a new thing green energy, let's put solar panels on the roofs, but we don't think about the new challenges that solar panels present for buildings when fires happen or when we now put plastic dividers in everywhere. And yeah, that's great for coronavirus prevention, but also there's a new, completely new risk hazard that's created with something that has good intentions, but we don't really realize some crazy problem that exists until, God forbid, a, a terrible fire happens. Yeah, the solar panel. I remember a story about. I'm not. I don't think it was one of our clients, but just a, a building where the neighbor was actually knocking on the door, telling them their solar panels were on fire on their roof because there was no smoke detector on the roof or anything. So there was no way to tell other than being outside the building. Um, yeah. So and they, they also don't like hail. So. Yeah, and I've I've also heard another problem is when fires happen. You, most of the time, a lot of times when first responders get the scene, they they turn the power off, but solar panels. If there's sun, they're creating yeah. power. So how do you stop the solar panels from making power? And there was some unique company in Australia called PV Stop, and it's a spray you can put on the solar panels that just makes them inert, and then you can peel it off when they're done. But again, it's like an interesting byproduct of something good that created a whole set of issues for first responders that are having to deal with the problem that's at hand. Yeah, these are all scientific problems. These are engineering problems right so we've done a lot of research on lithium-ion batteries for, for power storage and how to put that out um, so the best way now from our perspective is to really understand the problem and then and then that's the best way to evaluate uh, solutions but again this is really that interaction where we do a lot of training for firefighters we, we provide training for for firefighting services of how to deal with sprinkler buildings and and how to uh and, and what to do in, in that in that case? We have grants for fire departments. We have a we have a lot of interaction with uh, with fire departments. Um, so it's important that the learning that we that we uh, the knowledge that we create that we share that with the people that arrive on the scene, so they can use that as well, right? Uh, to make the best decision. Yeah, so much good info here, Job. So thank you for that. Um, within 
FM Global and sort of where you're at now, I'd love to know your thoughts on if people are innovators, companies, fire departments, insure tech, aspiring insurance entrepreneurs are looking to get involved or interested in collaborating. I mean, what, what sort of partnership or opportunities exist to, to work or collaborate with FM Global across all the different spheres of influence that you guys have? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. I mean, we are part of MIT's Industrial Liaison Program. We are part of Plug and Play. Uh, we are sponsoring Mass Challenge in Rhode Island, which is an accelerator for startups in Rhode Island. Um, and so we deal, we ha that, and this is just the innovation team. Uh, uh, but uh, um, so we deal a lot with startups um, that have various value uh, proposition. Certainly, InsureTech is interesting because if you go to an InsureTech conference, there's a lot of um, IT tools that could be used for a car insurance or for life insurance or telematics or wearables and so forth. So that's less valuable for us. Uh, but I just got off the phone with a company, a company called Rain, and they have drones that put out uh, forest fires at very early stage, right? They detect it, they send out a drone and, and drop some um, uh, dry uh, fire extinguisher on it. So this is, there's a clear loss prevention uh, component to it. And there's, so if a company has a loss prevention um, idea of products or, or solution, then I'm all ears. I'm very interested in that, right? And then from an underwriting side, if you can do things uh, on, on cyber, cyber assessments and, and anything that could be of value to us, and with us, I mean, FM Global, insuring large cor uh, corporate clients, um, we have various ways of working there. We've made a few investments. Uh, we, we do small proof of concepts. Um, we, uh, we mentor some, some of the startups. Uh, there's ver various ways to interact with us. Very good context. Thank you for that. Um, one, one kind of general question that I have it, in all the technology that you've worked on in the past from infrared, augmented reality, virtual reality, drones, of all those different tech niches, what's what's one of those that you're most excited about or what's something that you see is like not just pie in the sky, but something that's either today or in the next 12 to 36 months being a technology that really has the opportunity to be integrated to help with loss prevention or force multiplier for building safety or firefighter operation efficiencies. Um, you know, what comes to mind with that? Yeah. So, my my academic career and professional career, I've worked a lot with dealing with, with video and image processing, uh, computer vision, and now there's great progress being made on, on deep learning. On And we, of course, FM Global for the past decades have produced terabytes and terabytes of video data from fire and smoke. So we have a lot of, a lot of data available. I'm very excited uh, to use that. Um, I just have a, a patent application for a 360 camera to detect fire and smoke omnidirectionally. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty hands-on with that. It's interesting because now you have to convert um, sort of spherical imagery into rectangular imagery to do the, uh, to do the computer vision part. Um, anything with computer vision, I'm very interested in. Computer vision on, on infrared thermography too, uh, which, which is even more challenging because it's usually lower resolution. Um, I think, you know, any fire, just to state, state of fire, any fire that is huge was, was all, at some point always small. Right. Any fire that any multi hundred million dollar lost fire was at some point it was a fire that you could just have stepped on and, and put it out. Right. And, and, and save the day. 
which means that early detection is, is huge. So if you can detect in, in manufacturing and facility, if you can detect early and put it out early, um, it, it's, it's it, I mean, as soon as the sprinkler comes on, it's fantastic. You know, if the sprinkler comes on and, and, and it puts out a fire, that's a big win because it would have been a lot worse if it wasn't for the sprinklers. But I think there's also opportunities even before the sprinkler comes on uh, to put out a fire. And then you don't even have to worry about uh, everything getting wet, you know. And I think the ability to for computers to understand what's happening through, through vision uh, can play a, a massive role uh, in doing that effectively. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like in, in many things in life, even with our health, I mean, if you can be proactive and, and have early detection with, with cancer screening or getting your physicals, it's kind of the oh. same, same in theory, where if you are proactive or you have different tools to do the screening and catch it early, you're going to prevent a much bigger problem from a small problem from, from becoming a big problem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So last two questions I want to ask you here and, and maybe, uh, just kind of, you can answer them in either order, um, but interested in your thoughts on what is something, I did, I did kind of just ask you this, but maybe in, in another sense, what's something that you're most excited about right now? And then what's something that keeps you up at night and you're terrified of? And you can answer them in either order or just stick to the latter one because I kind of already asked you the first one. Yeah, it's the uh, what I'm very excited about. Well, in personal life, I love sailing. You know, so I wish I could go out. You know, that was a little, <laughs> um, I, even during COVID, you can go out and uh, and you have all the water to yourself, so it's easy to social distance. Um, I, to the last point, I, I get excited professionally about uh, the, the the AI and the neural networks uh, and seeing how to how to make that work end to end so not just a narrow solution but also how would you implement that in a business process so you have to untangle an existing business process insert that ai piece and then make that work and also bring different parts of our organization together to see how we can do that and changing the minds of some of the folks to to un, to look at their business process and think of it in in the form of a prediction because that's really what ai does is allow you to make make predictions based on more data and more accurately um, so that's, so that's what I'm excited about. And that's, I can, perf you know, I got my little tools and advice and computers to play around with that even in my own time. So, I mean, a good tell to whether or not you're excited about this. If you find yourself doing it at Friday night, 11 PM, uh, still, that means you're, you got, you're probably excited about that. What, what keeps me up at night has actually already transpired. I have to say like, so in early March, I have a son, five-year-old son with asthma. So when, COVID hit, and you, you probably remember, started hitting Seattle first. Well, started hitting China first, but then it came in yep. Seattle. My whole academic career was about exponential processes, which is what combustion and explosions are, right? It's just, you know, how many molecules touch each other, and then those react, and they react with other molecules. So it's very similar to the spread of a virus. So I was very early on with getting my kids out of school, even, even a week before it was official. And it was this weird... Um, uncanny valley kind of uh, experience where everybody was thinking that I was crazy, like my in-laws and, and everybody was like, you know, I was getting food and, and getting supplies uh, because I thought this thing was, I didn't know how deadly this was and I didn't know how it would impact children and I didn't know how, how it would impact the rest of us. And I didn't know if this was, you know, it was like, uh, I think Norm Macdonald said, I feel like I'm living in a Stephen King uh, novel, right? Those first week of COVID. Um, and, and my worries are now about how that's going to impact. Uh, so so the, the, the initial fear has, has somewhat um, 
taken down because we were we were able to live our lives and do groceries and we didn't have like a Mad Max kind of situations. But um, uh, my fear still remains of what this, what it's going to do to this country because it seemed to have added on to uh, all the other political complexities and everything going on. That's more on a, on a personal level, not a professional level. But uh, uh, I don't think we're, we've made it quite through the other end yet, right? So hopefully by the end of next year, everybody's this thing is all over. But I think we have we have some struggling to do before we get there. Yeah, done. Uh, thank you for that context. I mean, in the end of the day, we're all people and we're all humans, and we have we all are fighting or dealing with some issues that that others may not know about. But I think we can all just be kind and and uh, listen to others, um, and as well as as you mentioned, your Friday night activity. I mean, it's a good time to pursue those passions and and. Uh, of course, we all we all can continue to do our part. Unfortunately, I agree that I think it's going to continue to get worse before it gets better. Um, but know that it will get better. It's going to get better. Uh, I know there's there's hope on the vaccines and hope on and just continued growth of her, herd immunity. But regardless of any whatever anyone thinks about it, it's a time for us to kind of take a step back and have the reflection. So, um, you know, I, I've really learned a lot and appreciate all the context that you do and. And, and frankly, just and think that everyone, I'm, I'm hopeful that everyone kind of, because we're aware of, of you, uh, we'll put your LinkedIn profile in here and as well as FM Global because there's there's a lot of uh, room for collaboration opportunity here. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, to end on a happy note, I mean, I just got to congratulate. I think this is fantastic the way you pool together people with different backgrounds. I think that's exactly uh, what we need. Um, and then really looking at what this does effectively right so we kind of passed the stage where the ar and vr and all this stuff is, is sort of cute we were there a few years ago and now we really want to move this forward and see how it can help our first responders how it can help us protect buildings uh how it can save lives uh, potentially right through better training and, and better implementation so um yeah thanks a lot for um for you know inviting me first and foremost but for kind of putting this community together um i think it's fantastic Thank you. Well, if you got other uh, potential speakers or ideas, you'll please send them along. And, and I just, again, want to thank you for all the amazing innovation and ideas that you're bringing to the, the fire service and, and at the, the fire built fire safeties and buildings and everything. So on behalf of everyone, we just want to say thank you and, and look forward to staying in touch and, and uh, seeing what happens next with you. You're very welcome. Good job.